welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. For any new listeners who don't know what to expect, in each episode, I interview an expert on an emerging area of public relations. I get to the facts, but I leave out the jargon. It's a podcast about marketing, but it's in plain language. No, really, it is. (laughs) Welcome back to all of my regular listeners too. If any of you have any comments or questions, just tweet me at Stella Bales. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify and on iTunes, whatever you listen on at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. In this episode, I interview PR measurement heavyweights, Richard Bagnall and Daryl Sparry. It's about their latest joint research project on the effects that PR can have on technology startup businesses, attracting investors and the funding that they can gain. It's a really interesting episode, though, because not only do we delve into the research and the type of businesses that this works for, we also explore the approaches that PR needs and specifically the impacts that a CEO or founder can have in this process just by having a presence on social media. So one to watch there. But the conversation goes on and it really is fascinating talking to the two of them because not just is it about the correlation between PR and funding, but because Daryl and Richard both together have so much experience in measurement, but also this kind of PR reputation work. Daryl, if you don't know, is the MD and co-founder of performance-driven marketing and comms consultancy, Hard Numbers. And Richard, I'm sure many of but he's the co-managing partner of the evaluation firm Karma. He's also been awarded loads of awards, including CIPR medals for his service to PR, the Amec Don Bartholomew Award. And of course, he was the Amec chair between 2016 and 2022 as well. He really is probably one of the most knowledgeable people on PR measurement in the world. So we really do gain some of that wisdom in this episode. So we cover the detail of the research. So we get into the 64 startups that they analysed, which are unicorn businesses, and also the 65,000 pieces of coverage and social mentions as well to find their correlations. We look at the sectors that do well out of this and which ones can gain more potential funding. Daryl also shares his tips on how to best work with those senior members of staff and CEOs and how to get the most from this kind of work. I also do a bit of challenging on around the correlation versus causation effects around the results of this research. But we really do get some great responses from that and hear the wisdom from on PR measurement from Richard. Without further ado, here is Richard and Daryl. Delighted to have made it on here at last. This was a big uh, personal goal of mine. I'm delighted to have achieved it finally. Oh, it's lovely to have you both. So we are talking about coverage to capital, the research that you guys teamed up on and really keen to just get straight into it. Could you tell us why Karma and Hard Numbers teamed up together to look at this piece of research? Let me go first. Daryl is a friend, but also a long, long time competitor of mine in the industry. Many years ago, when we wore different hats, we were fierce competitors. That all ended about eight years ago. 
when both of our businesses in separate transactions got sold and when the fierce competition dropped away we realized actually how much in common we had and i'm really proud to say that today daryl's a good friend and daryl's created a business in hard numbers a pr agency which is exactly the type of business that if i was a pr on comms guru myself i would be looking to do it it's a pr agency that's all focused about measuring the effectiveness of comms in, in a meaningful way and those of you who've heard me speak with my amec hat on or with my karma hat on will know that measuring pr in a meaningful way is the biggest challenge i think that the industry faces at the moment it's not just about just counting anything it's about really trying to link it through to the objectives of organizations that we work for and the outcomes so that's that that's Dale will say some words i'm sure in a second himself but that's what attracts us as a business to working with Darren and supporting him on initiatives like this. It's the second report that we've done with him. And yeah, that's why we like working with Daryl because he's all about those hard numbers that tell that meaningful story. Uh, Darryl, yeah, Daryl, can you tell us a bit more about this piece of research specifically, why you wanted to look at this? Yeah, absolutely. I think the when we started Hard Numbers, we did so in part on a, a foundational belief that you can, should, and must demonstrate a link between the activity that you undertake as a PR, communications, or marketing professional, and an outcome that matters to the client, ultimately. And we really believe in this that a great way to do it and a great way to demonstrate a real link between activity and outcome was around funding for businesses so the first report that we did with the guys at karma was looking at companies that went from series a to series b over an 18 month period and we identified um, that the companies that raised that had the biggest increase between their Series A and their Series B capital raise also generated the most media coverage over that that period of the time, and that was great for uh, for hard numbers as a piece of kind of thought leadership content. It was very attuned to the audience that we were trying to engage with earlier stage high growth businesses are very much the kind of numbers audience but it wasn't necessarily brilliant for richard and for his for karma's pipeline because they're more used to dealing with more mature businesses that invest more money in things like reputation measurement and management and, and things like that i really wanted to work with karma again on this because they add research credibility to to our work and a rigor and and data that i think is second to none and also they're a great business to work with and so we wanted to do it again, but we wanted to do it on an audience that might be more aligned to the kind of audience that, that Richard might want to outreach. So we picked unicorns and there's some disagreement between me and other people about how you define a unicorn. But I define a unicorn as a publicly held business with a valuation in excess of one billion dollars. And so we did some research and identified 64 unicorns that were headquartered in the uk and that was the basis of the research that we then undertook to to try to do the same thing 
So who'd raised the most money? And was there a relationship between the media coverage and their profile as a business? And importantly, the profiles of their founders or CEOs? Uh, and was there any kind of correlation between the two? So that was the genesis of the report. Okay. Should I give okay. a bit of a, a bit of detail on on it? So we did the research between May twenty one and April twenty two. Daryl mentioned we researched sixty four uh, unicorn companies based in the UK. We looked across the we did a back search on Karma's database of media content, sifted through over three thousand two hundred different sources, looking for keywords using tech, big data type technologies to to get in there. We found over 65,000 pieces of content that were relevant. We looked on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. For LinkedIn, we looked at six months worth of coverage. For Twitter, we looked at one month's worth of coverage to get representative samples, found over 10,000 posts from these organizations and their CEOs or founders as well. So we used automation technology, um, the great tech that Karma has, but then we blended it with our experienced account teams as well to, to pass an eye over it, to bring that critical thinking, the human judgment, to make sure that the content was relevant, filter out stuff that was noise and, and you know not, not meaningful articles. As we all know, if you just run automation over massive data sets, you get back a lot of junk so to clean clean that data and do some coding on it as well so that's the sort of methodology behind the report research sounds very thorough and uh, and lots of data points that you can that you can uh, analyze what were the correlations that you were looking at daryl once you got that sort of data back on the coverage what were the data points that were really standing out yeah, two big things were we bucketed up the unicorns into three cohorts. The one that raised the, the raised the most money, and then a mid tier, and then the tier of unicorns that raised the smallest amount of, of, of capital. Um, and we saw very clearly that there was a correlation between the ones that had generated the most money and the profile of their C-suite, their CEO or founder. And then the other thing that we looked at, as Richard alluded to, was on LinkedIn and Twitter. And we did a comparison between the following that the founder or CEOs of the businesses had on their own personal channels on LinkedIn and Twitter. And then we benchmarked those against the companies, their own companies that they represented. And again, we found that the unicorn companies with the founders that had the largest number of LinkedIn followers secured over 763 million in, in total investment on average. And that was over 20% more than the average raised by the remainder of that unicorn cohort. So that compares to 632 million on average that was raised by the rest. And we saw something similar on Twitter as well again where those that were investing in their own building their own audience on that channel the top 20% of those CEOs again had raised more money than the the CEOs the remainder of 
the CEOs. Admittedly, uh, there was a smaller difference between the two on Twitter that we noticed, but there was, again, a really strong correlation there. Interesting. So the social profiles are really important. Did you find the same with sort of media profiles and what kind of coverage did, were the C-suite needing to get to, to get this kind of co- the coverage that was making a difference? I'm going to hand to Richard on that because the earned media side of things was his kind of core area of expertise that they brought to the party on this. Yeah. Side. Okay. We trolled across all of the content that's publicly available. So the content that wasn't behind paywalls, I think that's an important thing to say. So if there was a key financial press that's behind a paywall, then we weren't looking at that. But we're looking at, because it was this back search across a year's worth of data, it was stuff that's on the web. I think five additional key tier one media were, were categorized as well. What I think is pretty clear is that it's all about the right type of content in the right type of media is going to have the right effect for anybody. The more that PR and comms has changed, the more it's stayed the same. It's about getting your right messages to the right people to achieve an objective. And you get to the right people by going to the media that they read. We looked across business press, tech press, finance press. We broke down by all the different sectors. But I think it's pretty obvious that where the audience was the right place for them to go. There were some interesting things that came out there. I think although the mixture between B2B and B2C unicorns was about 50%, so in that total of 64 startup unicorns, it's about half and half with B2B or B2C, we found that B2C got by far the most coverage. I think it was up near 83% of the coverage was focused around um, B2C. And then when you look at the actual sectors, I thought there was some really interesting stuff in the data as well. The retail sector, which represents 14% of the unicorns as a cohort, that got the most coverage with 44%, but it only received 4% of the total funding um, pile. The financial sector, the sort of famous organizations that, that people would think of, so people like Revolut or Starling Bank, they received the most investment, but only the second highest amount of coverage. So they got 32% of the total amount of coverage. And I thought for us data wonks, a really nice and interesting stat was that in third place was data and analytics focused unicorns. Now they got the least coverage with just 1% of it. And they only represented 6% of the unicorns, but they uh, received the second highest amount of investment total. So obviously it's a hot sector and they're an, a strong area of investment and interest from different investing vehicles and did the coverage tend to be about the company lead ceo c-suites or could were they more ever generally about the company like you mentioned revolute there but you also mentioned uh sort of data businesses did they use data to get stories or did it really just focus on on the heads of the businesses i think it's fair to say it's a, it was a blend of both sometimes the story obviously is how the business is performing how it's growing how it's seeding in its in its attempts to to raise capital and to continue to grow in other cases it is about the the sort of the hero ceo or whatever and their story and we call it out in the in in the report and there's a lot of analytics and 
and data and detail on 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 those CEOs that need to be looked at. I think just to build on on what Richard said there, and he's absolutely right. When you look at those top tier unicorns, the ones that raise the most money with an average of one point four billion pounds, their CEOs were featured on average twenty three percent of the time within their media coverage. Whereas when you look at those, the next two tiers of of unicorns, it was 13 and 14% respectively. Okay. So what I think that that speaks to, again, on the earned media side of things, as well as the kind of so, social media side of things that I made reference to earlier, it's all about that CEO founder story and being willing to step up to the plate and be front and centre in driving the media profile for those for those businesses a and nice. that has positive knock-on effect on the money that they're able to raise sorry richard I thought... there's a nice term that i think your team used in the final report which is about their ability to bring the future forward um and i think their ability to talk about what it is that they their vision and to make their vision a reality is something that the media particularly like to pick up on as well um, we've talked, you can see here from the numbers that the correlation is strong. Is there anything more than correlation with any of this where we can actually prove? <laughs> Hard question. That's what we're trying to get to in measurement. Would they have got the funding anyway? <laughs> I think it's a, it's a great question, Stella. And I think we are at pains to say, I think more in this report than we were in, in the first report as well, that this is is correlation, not direct causation, right? So the, there's a strong correlation between these the, these two numbers. I think what is definitely really, and it's borne out in the in both research reports that we've done now with Karma and borne out through the work that we do with our clients on a daily basis, is that if you have a CEO or founder who is, not just willing to be and has a desire to put themselves front and center in terms of generating media coverage and investing the time and effort in building their own media profile on earned media and on social media and things like that, but also is able to demonstrate genuine thought, industry and category leadership that they really understand the market in which they operate and they have something genuinely differentiated, not just to say about that market, but actually about what they're able to offer to that market in terms of a product or a service, then that's the thing that is incredibly catalyzing, not just for media, not just for customers, but also for investors. And that, you know, that's, what they're, that's what they're looking for. Just thinking about measurement generally and on the point of correlation, it's I've found it's been really useful recently looking at coverage over time and looking at different data points that might pop up. But then we are getting better as an industry of getting to some of those proof points, whether it might be direct sales, but you can't always have both. What Just stepping away as a general sort of measurement, what do you believe is the, the perfect balance of having sort of correlation, but then also having direct sort of proof points to business? Um, there's a lot to unpack in what you've just said. 
two most common words that I use in 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 my career have been it it depends, right? You talk about can you link to direct sales? Well, well, not if your job is to build reputation. It's not going to be easily linked through to direct sales. So it's literally going to depend on what our different objectives are. You're absolutely right to call out um, correlation. Daryl's right to put call, uh, call out that correlation does not equal <clears throat> causation. We won a big new client about three, four weeks ago. Uh, I had a meeting with them last week and uh, I said, your share price has gone up since the day you appointed us by 20%. <laughs> 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 there is an example of, of obvious causation as opposed to <laughs> correlation. There's a ward entry right there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We didn't even have to do anything. It's just the goodwill that was generated with our appointment. Um, but look, um, because correlation doesn't equal causation, there are other ways that you can look to try to do it. And they're te techniques that have existed for years, things like econometrics, market mix modeling. They very quickly get very complicated and they get very expensive as well. They, The world has got ever more complicated. We're on the cusp of a generative AI content explosion. We thought we were already in that content explosion. It's going to 10x, 100x, 1,000x again. And to try and unpick that to actually work out exactly what it is that caused a human to do something and buy or whatever a product, invest in a product, whatever it might be, is going to get incredibly complicated. When I'm talking to people, I'm privileged to have been on the cabinet office strategy and evaluation council for the last 10 years. We've talked about this a lot. If you're looking at government communications, there is a there's an onus to try and demonstrate the value that you've created. Should this go beyond correlation? Should we be doing econometrics, market mix modeling to look at the actual value that we're doing? And there has to be this balance between benefit that you get, accuracy of data and cost. And the perspective that I advise people is that you don't need to do it at all what you do need to do is correlate the data use critical thinking tell a measurement story and show the right data points from the outputs that we generate to the what the audience that we've tried to reach the stakeholders we try to reach what they now think and what they've now done pull those things together and say with a certain degree of confidence the data suggests that what we've done here has had an effect there that's a very cost-effective and easy-to-do thing. And my perspective is that is good enough. Mm. Reputation is obviously really key for what we're talking about. What are some of the... You said that you were looking at keywords in some of the searches. What are some... Where would people start if they needed to measure reputation management or improving reputation for their organization? What are some of the first steps in setting out on a measurement process like that? Yeah. I would always say the first thing to do is to turn to our industry trade body, of which the three of us are all members, which is AMEC, so the International Association for Measurement Evaluation of communication and Amex done a lot of work to educate and support the industry and, and Amex does it for free within 
the work that AMIC does. There is something called the Integrated Evaluation Framework, or the IEF, which is a whole microsite on AMIC's website. And it links to an enormous body of evidence and research um, as a library of useful resources. And within there, there will be white papers on measuring reputation and trust, which I think really go very much hand in hand. And of course, which matter more now than ever. The latest Edelman trust barometer came out not that long ago and, and was saying Ooh. that... <laughs> and was, was saying that... Uh, no. Was suggesting that the only trusted channel now is basically the organisation. Even the media, governments, all of this lot have all lost their trust. It comes through in data from the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism that right across the world, people are losing trust in the in, in the media. So measuring reputation matters more than ever. So there you have to look at what are the drivers of reputation for any organization. And that's a number of different dynamics that work across a number of different vectors, if you like. Leadership, vision, behavior, performance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so what I'd suggest to the viewers and the listeners is to think about what are the drivers of the reputation of the organization that they work at and to think of it like an airplane cockpit if you like don't try and get a singular number necessarily that just is a single reputation score because i think it's largely meaningless apart from giving you a broad direction of travel but it doesn't help you unpack it to understand what you're doing well and what you're not doing well what you want to do is create a create a, a dashboard of appropriate metrics all bucketed under reputation on the things that matter to your organization and then to measure them and i would recommend that you measure them both in the media both in terms of how people talk about it on on social how people look for it on search and then uh, as long as your budget's also can afford it as well then to take that through to what people actually say when you ask them with research and to pull those things together but when we all know that you know what they say reputation arrives on foot and departs on horseback reputation matters so much um in today's world which is is so combustible i think it's more important than ever that that pr and comms pros look at it but tailor it to your organization do some research refer to the bodies of best practice in terms of getting some guidance and start to measure it that's what i'd suggest on the just a quick point on you mentioned reputation in search there which i know that i've had past experience in for anyone from yeah absolutely pr seo days it was very important part of our work was that included in the research or was it not possible because it was past articles had the search results so, changed by the time you had done the research? Yeah, so we didn't look at share of search or anything like that for this specific piece. But I think it's something that I think we've spoken about before and, you, and I'm a big advocate for. But back in my days in where I was competing directly with which which he made reference to earlier, I was a big a long advocate. Long time ago. Time ago now, we're best of friends as ever we were now. But 
but I was a big advocate for looking at share of search and believing really that for the majority of businesses out there, the PR team should position themselves as the custodian of branded search. Because if you think about, for most businesses out there, I'm not talking about your, your Nikes or your, your Boshes or your major household brands or something, but for the majority of businesses out there, the primary way that you create brand awareness and that you create brand affinity in comparison to your competitors is through PR or through the investment that you're making in an external PR agency or, or your own in-house efforts and things like that. And so I, I believe for the vast majority of people that are you know, interested in this and that do this stuff for a living should really be making the case for, right, okay, let the SEO guys own generic and, and best of luck with that, right? Because it's high, for things like air fryers or trainers or little black dresses or anything like that, it's highly competitive or the car insurance or you name the category, right? The PR team should try to make the case for let's own branded search and let's be the custodian of that. Let's measure that. Let's, to Richard's point, let's not just measure it in and of ourselves because that doesn't tell us a lot. But when we measure branded search in comparison to our competitor set and look across our category or our sector or our industry and say, how do we compare relative to our peers? Then you start getting some really interesting, really valuable data. And then you start moving yourself closer ultimately to the money. Yeah. And we all know from work that we've all done previously that if you want to get budget for something, get as close as you can to a financial outcome for the business in one way or another, whether that's raising capital, whether that's um, set, selling more product, whether that's whatever, which hopefully the report spoke to, right? I just add to that as well, just for tips for listeners, if they are doing profile pieces around C-suite, CEOs, leads of the business, then to check the search profiles around their names as well. It's an important one to look after. 100%. Actually, just I've got a very quick story on that, actually, for you. I hope it's not uh, one to do with any of our past projects. <laughs> what I used to do. And I, and I will anonymize We're not allowed this. to talk about them. <laughs> I will anonymize this. And I'll just talk generally about the category. But one of the biggest pieces of work that I won when I was in the SEO industry, I spent a period of time in the SEO industry after my my period in the media intelligence industry was an online reputation management piece that started when the CEO of a utility company's wife Googled his name and found him appearing in lots and lots of negative stuff that third party uh, activist groups had put together and lots of sort of websites saying lots of negative things about this CEO. So she then got in touch with the CEO and said, you've got to do something about this. And he had no idea about this, no awareness of this. But amazingly, for a CEO, he'd not Googled his name in the last 20 minutes. <laughs> and he came to us initially with that brief. Can you do something about this? And But then that turned into a much bigger online reputation management piece for the business. And then also creating good, high quality, put together and well linked to assets that would outrank some of the kind of negative stuff that was being put online about him. So yeah, Googling yourself 
it would turn out is no bad thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, we I worked on a few projects like that. One of them being for a, a huge business that was just about to announce their financial results, and there was a couple of negative stories about the CEO that we needed to turn around. But it makes a massive difference. It's only PR people that can do that. This podcast is brought to you by CoverageBook, the tool that creates beautifully designed reports with credible metrics you can be proud of. Head to CoverageBook.com for your free trial. Daryl, a question for you, just looking at the the client side when does it become important to start to look at this so we know that if you are just launching a business budgets are tight when should people start to think about their profile their reputation and starting to look into PR it's a great question (laughs) I love Richard's consultant's answer of it depends I'm not going to give that I'm also not going to give the kind of cheerleader talking my own book thing of right away, Stella, right away. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think what is important, what the research I think really speaks to is that, and I know as someone who is a founder of a business a couple of times over that it's hard to make the time for this stuff, right? But if you make the time to build your own thought leadership platform, through primary and you have the tools to do it through LinkedIn and and Twitter primarily particularly if you're because it's a b2b those are b2b platforms and which is more particularly LinkedIn's algorithm I've spent a lot of time I've written a paper on how LinkedIn's algorithm works I do a a session for all our new clients on, on kind of social selling and how LinkedIn's algorithm works and things like that It's a thought leadership platform that is biased towards individuals over company pages. We've all seen instances where our feeds are like 80% other people and like 20% or less company pages, right? So we know that algorithm biases, right? Posts from people over posts from companies. So it's in our own interests to invest the time and effort in building our profiles on these platforms because we know the algorithm has a bias towards this stuff. Also, it's the same with Twitter. We know from research on Twitter that people are more likely to engage, like retweet posts with someone with a face than with a company with a logo or an image. Again, right? So we know that the algorithms that drive all of people's access to this stuff and then make more people likely to see this stuff and therefore then comment engage with this stuff are driven around personal profiles i would encourage any ceo or founder of a business to get started on that piece as early as they're able to but then over time obviously when you can make the budget make the business case for investing in pr use your pr agency to help support that maybe help create content to feed that but also help you have a really strong thought leadership and byline game that's going to deliver those kind of earned media profile stuff that that Richard was making reference to earlier Mm. and then that's the thing that that's when you see this stuff really taking off like a rocket ship once you have that kind of earned media veracity aligned to reach and scale that you can get from or from social media that's when we see all these things take off and just to build can I just build on something that from the report because that, that's absolutely right and so important what Daryl said but what the report showed was that despite what Daryl said 
the CEOs average on LinkedIn are posting about 2.3 times on average a month, whereas their organization handle was posting basically every other day, about 16 times a month. So I think an insight that comes out of Dow's perspective there and what's actually happening is that perhaps that balance should be shifted a bit because, you know, as he says, none of us want to listen to a brand telling us what to do, but we all want to hear people's perspectives. And maybe that would be an insight that would come out of the report that could help those CEOs as they go on that journey. Hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's, I guess when they come to realising that they need PR or reputation management work, they're probably going into a busy period with their business. And this sounds like it might take up a lot of their time. How important is it that it's them who are doing the interviews, the writing, how much can you help a CEO with not this this kind of thing taking up all of their time and they're about to go for funding or change their business or double in size, which might be taking up a lot of their time? I think with media, it always helps to have the most senior person possible, the person that really represents the business as possible. But we have for a number of our clients that are international businesses that are primarily businesses that have come over to Europe from the US and they start by building out their European operations from the UK and they have country managers or country leads or things like that and those are the ones that we're having to profile to the local media because they're available at a time which is convenient to local media and for that local media they represent the voice and face of the business. I used to work with a with a great guy Greg Monshine, who's been tremendously successful with his own PR business called Source Code Communications. And Greg and Becky were inspirations to me with when we set up Hard Numbers. And if we could be half as successful as they are, I'll be very happy indeed. But he used to say, get to text. If you want to like successfully build a relationship with anyone about anything, get to the point where you can send them a text message about something, because that's your my least cluttered inbox is my text messages, right? What, not WhatsApp, I mean your actual text messages, right? <laughs> like the only people that text me are my mum in all caps, Papa John's, <laughs> and, and my missus when they, there's an emergency with the kids, right? That's it. Like every other inbox I've got I've, is absolutely flooded, but my text message inbox, right? So with our clients, we have the best relationships where we can text them and say, got this up, can you be ready by four o'clock today to talk about X? We'll send you a briefing document. And then they can give us an answer very quickly, yes or no, about whether it's go or no go. And if it's go, then we can help manage everything else around it to make them as well briefed and as, as successful as they possibly can be so that they can respond at the speed of media is one of the keys to success, I think. Just thinking about the PR teams who are listening to this and thinking I place profile pieces I think my team are really good at that maybe we could be selling our services better and I know this is tricky Daryl because they are probably your competitors slightly (laughs) do you think that we should be clearer as PR teams to say we will take you to IPO we will get your next series of funding do you think that we should be stronger in what we're going to achieve to be able to get that clear of measurement objective I'll talk about it from the PR side of things. And then Richard could talk about it from the importance of clear objectives from a measurement perspective afterwards, if you like. But yeah, 100%. Like, 
I had a the garden office that I'm sat in right now built just before Christmas and I commissioned it like in April or something and the, the shovels didn't go in the ground until July I think and it wasn't finished until I don't know six eight weeks later or something like that right so it took time and I had to pay 25% or something up front for that and then 50 more percent before the thing was even finished or whatever but I had a cast iron guarantee from the person that built my garden office that at the end of it, I would have a garden office that was fully insulated, fully heated, and that would have working Wi-Fi in it. And it, that would definitely happen. And I, he had pictures of it that he could show me from other people. He, like He could evidence his work that he'd done from other people. He put me in touch with other people or whatever. And I knew that would be the outcome. PR people too often are uh, equivocate over what the outcome of their activity what a what the outputs are going to be for a kickoff actually are they are we even going to get you coverage the pitch from a lot of pr agencies is i can't guarantee you that we'll get you coverage but i can guarantee you we'll be busy fools for the period of time that you employ us and that's just bonkers no one's ever bought anything no one bit no one with a brain will spend money on someone saying we're going to work really hard and we hope that the outcome of that hard work is going to be something approximating of this, right? By actually committing to an outcome, it, actually, to be honest, outputs would be a good start, just that we are going to deliver X number of media opportunities or based on our experience, we know we will be able to deliver 100 leads from this activity because we know if we don't get them with earned we'll get them with paid if we don't get them with paid we'll get them with shared if we don't get we'll, we will sweat this asset right one way or another that's going to deliver you 100 leads and do you know what if all of those things fail i'll pick up the phone and i'll phone your target mm -hmm. audience myself and i'll get them in that way so i think that it's that commitment to an output which hopefully in our experience leads to an outcome that I think too few PR PR people and PR agencies are willing to do. And we do our profession, and I called it a profession, a great disservice by not committing mm. to that. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox. I love it. And I think Daryl's right. And look, there speaks a man who has the drive to build a business. And that drive is what PR and comms professionals need. And that confidence and that focus. And I think that it, the issue we're talking about here comes down to confidence in PR and comms we have to be confident that we are value creators and not just activity doers we're not just pen pushers who hope this is the fear that I see again and again people they fear that the work that they do can't really drive an out an outcome for an organization there's too many opportunities for the dog to eat my homework between the work that I do and what actually happens and you know what Sometimes that's fair and sometimes that's right. But the relationship that a PR and comms pro needs with their client needs to be based on more confidence, more consultation in terms of to and fro. Because the only thing I would slightly d disagree with Dara about is that it's okay to have a target, but the target, if you, it may just be that for whatever reason, you're not going to hit it. And he joked about he'd get on the phone himself, but even that might not work at that point <laughs> it's the time to pick up the phone to the client or you're working with the client and you say look 
we need to change our strategy here. The point there then is that this all comes about, it comes down to having the confidence to say upfront, we're gonna have a credible, relevant, meaningful plan. And that plan is gonna detail what it is that we're trying to achieve, what a success looks like, how are we gonna know if we've got there or not, what are the measurements and the metrics that matter? What are the targets that we want to achieve? And at this point, when you bring measurement into the planning stage, you start thinking about measurement at the planning stage, all the fear that people have of it is this sort of scary number that appears at the end of their campaign and that they can't control. That actually disappears because at this point, it's a hope and an aspiration. And you can have a conversation one-on-one -on -one with your client that we think with this budget you've given, with my professional experience, we believe that we can deliver this for you. And the point about, about measurement and about targets, as we all know on, on, on this pod, is they should be smart. So specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. And if your client or your boss is asking for stuff that isn't smart, you can push back at this point and say, this isn't reasonable. This isn't specific enough. This isn't possible with the budget I've got. This isn't time-bound whatever it might be and you can have a sensible conversation because in cricket parlance you're not on the back foot you're having a, a sensible one-to-one -one conversation and they'll appreciate it and they'll respect us more if we have that confidence to do it and it's that's the reason that when I was Amex chair I got Amex to launch the all the resources that we did around how PR and comms pros can plan better and bring the measurement as part of a of plan, those two things are completely symbiotic. So we need to have the confidence. We need to plan. We need to think about what it is we're trying to achieve. We don't have to. We don't have to guarantee them. But we have to say this is what we're aiming to do, and then just refine them as we progress towards them. I think just quickly, Richard's been on podcasts with me previously, so he knows this already. I'm not re revealing anything too personal, but. Every single member of the Hard Numbers team has the AMEC uh, integrated evaluation framework tattooed on their body. <laughs> I've got it tattooed on my inner thigh. And it's a resource that we use consistently across the business because it gives you an absolutely cast iron framework that starts with what is the objective here? And then takes you through what are the activities that we're going to do? What are the outputs that we're going to create to ultimately what is the outcome that we're going to deliver for our client? And, it, it, you know, let it, I mean, anyone doing anything, right, not just in marketing, communications or PR, should start with the integrated framework because it's a brilliant model for just making you stop and go, right, why are we doing this? What is it that we're trying to do? Where are we trying to get to and how are we going to get there? Yeah. We actually injected the planning resource into the framework as well to call it out further. The first version of the framework had planning in it, but it didn't have enough on it. So we created the planning resources and then injected them into the framework to, to pull that out even further. Mm. And no, I haven't seen Daryl's inner thigh. Certainly not up close and personal, <laughs> I hope but it's I do not believe him. Particular resource that you use on a regular basis. <laughs> there should be more complaints coming from your team if it is. Seriously, though, 
using those time-bound objectives and doing it up front with planning really does get those big headlines that we want so the headlines like we got you the series b funding or we took you to ipo like they're the kind of headlines that really do our industry justice and gets the whole marketing world's attention guys we've been talking for longer than i had planned but it's so interesting and we could talk all afternoon but um you so much for explaining more about the research where can people download find the report and learn more so if they go to hardnumbers.co.uk we've got both the coverage to capital reports on there if they go to my twitter page which is at daryl d-o-r-r-y-l-s-p-a-r-e-y i think i have it as a pinned tweet as well and if i don't i'll make sure i do for when this when this goes out and richard if people wanted to do some in-depth analysis like you did in the report how can they get in touch with you or Carl? yeah thanks it's, it's an area that we we specialize in with most recent amec we're, we're helping the organizations on their measurement journey we're helping them bring frameworks to life so if there are any listeners who are interested in that then you can find us at, at karma.com is our url and find me on twitter and linkedin at richard bagnall on both of them i look forward to speaking to anyone and as i've always said as well with i'm always you know i've been lucky to have been in this industry the industry's been very kind to me so i'm always happy to give back so if anyone's just got a measurement challenge and just wants a little bit of advice they can reach out to me there as well and i'll do my best to point them in the right direction amazing offer there thank you so much guys i will see you both soon thanks Della. thank you That was the PR Resolution Podcast. If you want to learn more about emerging areas of PR, join the PR Resolution and head to blog.coveragebook.com. Stay in touch by following me on Twitter at Stella Bales and make sure you subscribe to the series to get the next episode.